Fake sire is this? This Hades costume is the stinkiest costume on this brand. <laughs> Babies are often very useless when you need to get things done. Take a puff. Do you fear Big Bong is a sus individual. I pledge allegiance to the pod of Chris and Kyle. <laughs> Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's gang at patreon.com slash mouse madness. Uh, Kyle, you know, we had a great time with our end credits uh, pop songs bracket yep you know we love that that real light-hearted stuff that we get to talk about but kyle it's almost the fourth of july and it's time to get serious it's <laughs> time to talk about the birthday of old man america oh man and no one loves the birthday of old man america more than disney itself we are talking the most quote-unquote american disney thing on this bracket we're talking animated shorts we're talking films we're talking parks we're talking parades we've got it all here and i'm super stoked about this bracket because it really allows us to talk about everything all at once it reminds me a little bit of our parade bracket where we can bring in things from other references i'm really excited and to help us do this is former military recent civilian second time guest host it is daphne daphne welcome to the podcast to be here. <laughs> yes. So uh, you were in the military. You recently uh, became a full civilian. Congratulations on that. So we felt like you were the perfect person to talk America. Daphne, tell me about your love for the US of A. You know what? I love waking up every morning <laughs> and being free <laughs> and thinking what I want to because I'm free. Because free. Because we're free. Freedom's beautiful. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. What, what was the last podcast we had you on? Do you remember the topic? Yeah, dynamic duos. Dynamic duos. There, there's some uh, some dynamic characters happening here. Some dynamic duos. I'm thinking a little Paul Bunyan and Babe uh, when I'm thinking of duos on this bracket. But we're excited to have you. Uh, Chris, I have a feeling that this first one's going to be a bit bit long so let's hop right into it here with a little spoonful of sugar what are you drinking over there so um daphne introduced me to one of my favorite american traditions of all time um that is a tradition of the u.s air force um and their tradition for drinking jeremiah weed (laughs) and i i ventured to two uh liquor stores in the east bay and neither of them had either type of jeremiah weed so i was unfortunately shut out uh, and I ended up just picking up two sour beers that I found on the shelf. No, oh. the one I'm drinking today is called One Long Wave. Okay, it is a golden sour beer, which I have not had before. I'm a sour ale guy, usually uh, golden sour beer aged in oak barrels with kiwi and strawberry. Oh, one long wave. It's got a picture of a little windsurfer dude, <laughs> hey. and this one, this one comes from. 
the Rare Barrel Beer Co., which uh, is based in Berkeley, California. Oh, there you go. Um, it's uh, I, I could not wait any longer to drink this beer because <laughs> I just needed it really bad. Okay. Um, it's it's fine. It's definitely got that nice dry sourness that I really like. No um, bitter aftertaste. But something that happens with some sour beers is they're so sour that they start to taste kind of metallic. Yeah. And I usually I usually like that sort of um, because I like the taste of metal in my mouth. But this one it's a little bit it's a little bit too strong. So would not recommend. It was also twelve dollars for this bottle. Uh, Damn. So yeah, twelve. <laughs> it was a dollar an ounce. Twelve point seven ounces at twelve dollars. So no, that's American uh, right there. That's as American as it gets. Kyle, what are you drinking? I am drinking something that just screams America. It screams 4th of of July backyard barbecue. I am drinking a White Claw, baby. We got mango White Claw here. Uh, It doesn't get much more summertime American than a White Claw, especially in the last few years. So I'm taking it a little light this time around. I'm, I'm hoping to get back into the cocktail cabinet sooner rather than later maybe after chris gets back from walt disney world we can do a little home bartending sesh for the pod but uh yeah white claw for me and daff what's your spoonful of sugar i am drinking a noon oh getting my electrolytes in uh you know once you serve your country you gotta hydrate (laughs) everyone knows that that's great. I'm a big noon fan myself. I have about six uh, tubes of noon in my Noon's cabinets. Great. Not a sponsor. Noon's, Noon's goes great. off. <laughs> uh, all right, Chris, we got drinks in hand, which means that it's time to introduce our demographic for this bracket. We, of course, had to send the interns back into the parks. Chris, by the time you're, the audience is listening to this, you're in the parks. You are in here. Walt Disney here, World, baby. and I'm pretty sure that we're sending you on your own assignment for the next mm-hmm. bracket. So be sure you're out there doing that. But while you're doing that, we have our interns at Disneyland and they are surveying people who are standing in line for the meet and greet with the new Buzz Lightyear walk around character. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I dropped it into the Mouse Madness Discord, but there is a new Lightyear walk around character who is not in a character suit like. Buzz Lightyear, the toy walk-around character is. It's just some white guy with hair in a spaceman costume to promote the new Lightyear movie. And I am perplexed. I almost I texted Chris that I hated it. I told the Discord community that I was ready to quit the podcast over it. It is it is an atrocious walk-around character. And I still haven't seen Lightyear. So we'll see how this character looks compared to <laughs> real life buzz i guess but uh he's in the parks there there are characters that we have talked about before saying this would make way more sense if this was a face character right geppetto Geppetto. would be one of them and this is an example of one that should definitely not be a face character no it's bad i don't like it but people did and they stood in line to meet him and so that's who our demographic is and they gave us 16 of their most quote-unquote American Disney things. And we got 16 real good ones. But Disney has a history of being very patriotic, very American-focused. So there's a lot that did not make the dance. And Chris, uh, what are a couple for you? 
A couple of Disney movies not on this bracket. National Treasure. Yep. Nicholas Cage stealing the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> I mean, anytime you're dealing with historical documents, that just screams America to me. Totally. Pocahontas uh, taking liberties with some of the history surrounding wow. indigenous peoples. Yeah. I got to throw that one in there. Of course. And also kind of an interesting one that we often forget is Disney. Good morning, America. Yeah. Uh, I find that to be a very American tradition, starting your day for a couple of hours with some friendly, familiar faces like our boy Michael Strahan, (laughs) George Stephanopoulos, uh, just talking about basically what products you should probably be buying right now. Um, It's fun. It's a good time, but it's got that... uh, Disneyfication of current events going on uh, that I uh, I think is is a pretty solid Disney American thing. Uh, yeah. What do you got for Mr. Dance? Uh, first one is a movie. It's Miracle. We talked about it in our best Disney sports movie bracket. Big American vibes, obviously, with Team USA taking down Russia in the 1980 Olympics to go on to win the gold medal in hockey. Uh, big, big political undertones in that film. So that feels very American to me. And then the Carousel of Progress, which was an attraction both in Disneyland and it's still in Walt Disney World, which follows a American family through four different generations, four different eras of technological advances in America. And the very final scene is them in what they see, saw as the future of technology. And they're, they're flaunting around like a microwave and a dishwasher that cleans the dishes for you. So it's a little bit stuck in time. But we are so obsessed with technology and and inventions here in the U.S. that it felt very American. Um, And then honorable mention, Chris, do you remember the 2001 commercial campaign called Express Yourself that happened on Disney Channel with the Disney stars? Uh, I do not. I, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about, but yep. why don't you go ahead and, and lay it out for us? There was this big push in the early 2000s by Disney Channel to do this like inclusion campaign where they had Disney Channel stars talk about what it meant to to be a family, what it meant to be inclusive. And then a little something called 9-11 happened in 2001, and that became just this propaganda machine in which they're like, the flag? I stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance every single day, and I will never look at the flag the same again. It really brought this country together. And it's like Kyla Pratt from The Proud Family telling other eight-year-olds how incredible it is to, to be living in America and how this tragic event, how I just I have to talk about it with my parents every single day. It is just the most bizarre feeling watching this back. But I recently listened to a podcast from Stuff You Should Know and how 9-11 was this very bizarre moment in media history where the media didn't really know how to respond to it. So they just let the government tell them whatever they wanted. So the government was like, you need to put on PSA commercials and tell them that we have to go to war and to band together and USA or bust. And everybody did it. And so you get stuff like Disney Channel stars doing a little 9-11 PSA propaganda. So propaganda is in Disney's blood. We're going to talk about it on this bracket, but had to bring that up. Daphne, what's a missed dance for you? Good at Kelly. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was, um, 
it was that shoe spit sign sheen. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. And then when I started selling my own shoes, I did the same same method. <laughs> <laughs> Really influential. Is Cadet Kelly why you decided to get into the military? You wanted to be like Hillary Duff really bad? Uh, I don't want to be Hillary Duff. I want to be with Hillary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Hey, hey, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> oh, man. We have some some great, great Miss the Dances here. But Chris, let's go ahead and introduce our bracket of 16, quote unquote, most American Disney things Let's cue that dramatic music, and I'll go ahead and start us off. Shabuya roll call at the number one seed. It's the Hall of Presidents. Addressing us at the number two seed is Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Taking a walk right down the middle of it at the number three seed is Main Street, USA. Walking through the history of our nation at the number four seed is The American Adventure at Epcot. Showing us scenes from sea to shining sea at the number five seed is America the Beautiful. Lending a hand at the number six seed is Disney's World War II propaganda films. Botching its proposal at the number seven seed is the proposed Disney's America slash Haymarket Square project. Hope you like puppets because the number eight seed is America on Parade. Taking down the red, white, and blue at the number nine seed is the Main Street USA flag retreat ceremony. When I say ye, you say ha. Coming in at number 10 is Frontierland. Kicking it with Paul, John, and Johnny at the number 11 seed is the American Legends VHS. A slice of America in Walt Disney's backyard. Coming in at number 12 is the Magic Kingdom's Liberty Square. Being replaced by Encanto at the number 13 seed is the former finale float to the Main Street Electrical Parade. Not up in here! Coming in at number 14 is Walt's Union Busting. Striking out at the 15 seed is Casey at the Bat. And Disneyland's original experiment in recycling coming in at number 16, it's America Sings. Daphne, we've got 16 American Disney things on here. Any early favorites for you? Presidents. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, we've got a a plethora of presidents uh, (laughs) on this bracket. In fact, we have every single damn one of them. Yeah, we do. For real, for real. And we we can start off by talking about those dudes right now. Let's do it. Number one seed, the Hall of Presidents versus number 16, America Sings, leads off our discussion here. Hall of Presidents is basically Walt Disney World's answer to great moments with Mr. Lincoln uh, once Walt Disney World was built. This is a space in which the presidents in animatronic form will stand up and give speeches uh, about the topics concerning their day. Oftentimes, it's these uplifting, patriotic-type messages. You get Abraham Lincoln kind of given some of his speeches that you hear in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. And then you always hear currently, recently, as of the Clinton administration, you hear the current president speaking uh, in animatronic form. And oftentimes, actually every time since Clinton... Uh, It's been that actual president's voice as a recording. So this is just a place where they've honored 
the presidents, you sit in a theater and you watch them stand up and interact with each other and speak. Uh, honestly, pretty boring in my eyes. I, if we had Lincoln on the worst Disneyland attraction bracket, I cannot believe that Hall of Presidents is <laughs> leaning off here. Other than it is quite American to have a theater full of your country's former presidents. Um, little timeline for us. The original version lasted from opening day Magic Kingdom until 1993. And they started adding more of the like civil rights and, and slave issue narratives to some of these president speeches because they, of course, were omitting them as they were speaking. In 1993, Woke Squad shows up and they start adding that in there. Uh, 2001, we get a new narrator to the entire attraction. 2009, Morgan Freeman becomes the narrator. Uh, and, and what's crazy to me about this is up until George W. Bush's animatronic, Blaine Gibson, who was a Disney legend and expert sculptor, directed the sculpting of every single one of those presidents. That is a long time. Homeboy was 83 when he was wow. lending his services to sculpt that George W. Bush uh, animatronic. So that's pretty insane. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically it. I mean, like you just hear a bunch of presidents talk. It's pretty impressive to see a room full of animatronics all stand up and interact with each other. Uh, it's always fun to see the current president in animatronic form. Uh, I know that there used to be or maybe there still is the like the seal of the Oval Office in this area somewhere. Uh, I'm not a Walt Disney World boy, so I'm not sure, but I remember hearing or seeing that. Um, so yeah, that's Hall of Presidents. It's up against America Sings. And Chris, I've known about this attraction, but I had never seen it. And so this was my first time watching it. And boy, do I love this attraction. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is so good. America Sings took over for Carousel of Progress at Disneyland in Tomorrowland. So it's in a theater in which the the seats kind of rotate around a center stage and you see these different vignettes as you go around it. And in these vignettes, they use this very, very intricate kind of lighting system where they will shine certain animatronics to bring your attention. And then the stage will kind of form and bring in more animatronics so that you then see a, a completely new scene on the stage. It's really cool. But this is basically an attraction that celebrates music through American history led by Sam the Eagle. And Sam the Eagle oh, is... Hold, a, hold up, hold up, hold up. Please. I must correct you. Uh, the character is Eagle Sam. Eagle Sam. Uh, Sam the Eagle is, is a the Muppet. Muppet. Yep, is the Super Muppet. Super easy mistake to make. Eagle Sam leads us through the, the history of America through music, basically. And they start out... It's a four-act show. You have Going South, so you have this kind of like blues Dixie section. Uh, you have Heading West, so you have this frontier, old country type sound. You have the gay 90s, which is the 1890s. So you have some like barbershop quartets. You have some ballroom type songs. Um, and then you have the fourth act, which is modern times, early to mid 20th century. Uh, this attraction took place 1974 to 1988 when it was gutted and all of the animatronics went to what? Splash Mountain. So if you watch the show, you can see a lot of the same scenes that happen in Splash Mountain happen here on stage. Just now they're singing other songs besides Zippity Doodah. 
I really like this show. I I thought it was super fun. I the only thing that makes it like American, I think, is very stereotypical American mm. genres of like going west and like the the Dixie South and all of these kind of and rock and roll and Elvis and that does feel very very American. But it also kind of discounts the people that sung these songs or created these songs because in the attraction, all of the animatronics are animals. <laughs> so you have an eagle, you have like geese, right, a barbershop right. quartet of geese, you have like pigs singing things. So it gives you the history of music in a digestible way, but it doesn't really break down why these are historically significant other than like these are places in America that played very popular music at one point in time. It's also kind of a little bit disjointed just because it, you can't really do the history of music in America in four acts. So yeah, uh, I, I love this show a ton. I think it's very, it's very uh, fun to watch, but I think I have to go with the one seed as the quote unquote mm-hmm. most American thing because I think that it doesn't get much more American than like us forever thinking about our history through these political figures or through the quote unquote founding fathers and like forever celebrating them, even though most of them were absolutely awful. And Disney had a good like Disney has forever done that where it's been kind of like the the country and, and America over what actually happened and the Disneyfication of history, which we're going to talk about over and over again on this. And I think Hall of Presidents is one of those. Uh, so I'm going to go with the one seed. The uh, Splash Mountain characters was just such a trip for me to, to sit and, and see them in a different form. Because I was like you, I had never sat through this whole thing before. And it was very eye-opening. Uh, I personally loved like the names that they gave uh, the three <laughs> alligators that play in the finale room in Splash Mountain. They're the Swamp Boys. Swamp Boys. And the and the two vultures in America sings. They have top hats and they're <laughs> the Boot Hill Boys. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, they I sing, loved they, them. They sing this like fun like super scary like funeral song right. in the in the Going West sequence, and I just loved that. Even like the Brer Bear push cart makes yeah. an appearance in America Sing. So it was almost like playing a game of I spy watching totally. all these scenes go down. I was super impressed by just like the general and ed- technological advancement of the show. Uh, it's definitely a country bear jamboree on steroids, but it <laughs> required tons of synchronization and coordination. There are four acts, but there are so many little different scenes that take place in each of these acts, these animatronics are moving in and out and up and down throughout the show. And it's a lot. Yeah. It's, uh, the pace is very, very quick. And I, I loved it for that reason. Carousel of Progress can can drag a little bit, but America Sings seemed like it moved very, very quickly. The, the animatronic that I'm going to have to say I hated the most, you already know what it is. Yep. It's Pop Goes the Weasel. Dude. How annoying. Pop goes the weasel has to go, man. How annoying. It, I always it, it, wonder. Basically, it, in four, five points throughout America's Sing, is this weasel just randomly pops out of thing and goes, Pop goes the weasel. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Like, who thinks that's funny? Like a four year old? It's not funny. And Maybe. I had always wondered where that came from because in Disneyland's 
60th anniversary fireworks, or maybe it was 50th. Uh, in one of the scenes where they're honoring Tomorrowland, there's or Fantasyland actually, there's the like mad tea parties going off and stuff, and it's all chaos, and the castle has all of these zany projections on it, and then the thing ends with this little guy going pop goes then we he's all and laughing and that's the end of that fireworks ah. scene and i always wondered what that was from and i was like does the dormouse in alice in wonderland say that because it's during that scene but no it was from this show so what a revelation to have when you're watching it we also have to give a special shout out to the actor who provided the voice for eagle sam it's our boy it's the boy boom it's our boy Burl Ives. Burl Ives. Dude, dude's just like taking a break from singing uh, Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he's out here doing America Sings and it's, it's great. Um, it. Like you said, they tell the history of the country through the history of music, which I think is a really interesting take on trying to tell the American story because it's been done in the same exact way so many times throughout all of these Disney America things. Um, I like that they they kind of focus on the music only. At the beginning of the show, they set it up with like, oh, Yankee Doodle. It all started with Yankee Doodle. Uh, but at the end of the day, like everyone was bringing their own sounds from whatever country they came from before America. I do like that they kind of point that out and they don't really say like, oh, well, we invented rock and roll, bro. Yes, like this, right. is, this is what America does. Uh, so I thought that was uh, a very honest touch at the beginning. Yeah. This was also an attraction that was created in coordination with America's bicentennial. And the country went off during the bicentennial. Like it was the bicentennial was like the sickest thing that happened to mankind. Yes. Uh, Everyone feel like they had to do something special for America's 200th (laughs) birthday. Uh, And Disney, Disney went all out and America sings was part of that. So I love that that aspect is tied into the Americanness of America sings. Yeah. Hall of Presidents, like you said, super, super boring. It's basically just like a living diorama of these old guys, and they do a roll call for every single president, and it's like George Washington. Yeah. At the time, <laughs> it's like Millard Fillmore. It's like, all right, are yeah. we, are sure. we to Joe Biden yet? Like, let's go yeah. get the show on the road. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's that, that same video that it seems like they play in all of these things. It's like, Oh, here's how the country was made. And here's, a, we had to manifest our destiny. And then there was war and it's just like, blah, blah, blah. It's mm. the same stuff gets me real bored. Yes. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I think about what it means to be American, I don't think about presidents. Oh, those, pre- those presidents, they're on their own agenda. They do their own thing. They're living in dope houses. <laughs> I'm, I'm out here in my 103 degree apartment, you know, yeah. like doing my own civilian thing. <laughs> okay. So yeah, when I think, when I think about America, I think about the people, I think about the, the country itself. Yeah. And that's why I feel like America sings. It's gotta be wow, my choice. Okay. I gotta okay. get the upset here and I gotta take these presidents down okay. early. Okay. Sorry, Daphne, but Daph, you're going to be breaking a tie right away here. So speeches, right? I'm a sucker for speeches. Uh, Lincoln Memorial, just reading that speech. That I okay, not gonna lie, I almost cried at the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I gotta give it to number one, number one seed. 
presidents. We got a president's bias up here as a guest host. Uh, Chris, I appreciate your uh, relation to these these geese and vultures, though. These are the people of America. I mean, they sure are. You know? <laughs> sure uh, my are. personal favorite, though, has got to be the dog who's sitting on his balcony in the south scene and he's like yes he's like smoking a pipe and he's like mm, life's real good or <laughs> yeah. something like that it's like oh dang. my my favorite is the biggest disney turnt boy which is the one that's singing that parlor song while being oh, held by the neck dude, of, uh, so by the turnt. cop and he's just completely blasted uh yeah i guess that is a snapshot of america right there Great. but um all right Great. next round Great. what we got all right, next up, we've got the number eight seed America on Parade versus number nine Main Street Flag Retreat Ceremony. So, oh, I mean, boy. I could go on all day about America on Parade. We broke it down a lot in the Best Disney Parades bracket. It's definitely one of the more unique offerings Disney has ever put it's out. so weird. Basically, uh, every single character in the parade is like a paper mache puppet. Right. Uh, and it looks so strange, unlike anything Disney did before or after. Sort of scary looking. You have you have little kids, you have grown ups, you have people of all colors uh, yeah. represented as these weird paper mache puppet creatures. They look like if the small world characters got out and, and oh, grew up no. and just kind of slightly mutated like they're terrifying. This is another bicentennial offering. It was part of the whole 1976 celebration that was going on at both Disney parks. This was at Disneyland as well as the Magic Kingdom. So just to rattle off some some various things that were in the parade, uh, you had Mickey, Donald, and Goofy open up the whole parade on a little revolutionary uh, war float, doing <laughs> some dances on the drums. You had like a Christopher Columbus Thanksgiving float. You had a uh, Ben Franklin float where he was like flying a kite. You've got a Western unit that had like a stagecoach. There was a guy with a shotgun riding on top of it, as well as some can-can dancers uh, walking alongside of it. You had, this is where it starts getting a little bit this crazy. Is, you yeah, had you had a giant megaphone float where <laughs> it was just, yeah, you know what a megaphone, it's like a big giant cone that cheerleaders yell through in yep. old timey football games. Yeah. And there was like a cheerleader sitting on the front and then a football player running around in front of it with like a baseball guy in the back as take me out to the ball game played. So this is like the sport float as if to say America is sports. Yes. Which is not entirely wrong. No. But after the sports unit comes the food unit. And oh baby. You've you've got a big giant popcorn box. <laughs> you've got two dudes with giant lollipops walking in front of a giant sandwich. This is about two stories high. It's it's the biggest float and it's a massive sandwich. Uh, so uh, it's like that Reddit uh community of self-aware werewolves where right, it's yep. like Hey, look, we eat way too much food. It's bad for us. But you know what? We know it. We're going to yep. own it and embrace it. We're putting yep. it in this parade. <laughs> the grand finale is, of course, like this Statue of Liberty flag eagle float uh, where there's this blonde Statue of Liberty, Lady Liberty, and she's for some reason wearing a silver dress. Right. Don't know what, what what's going on with that. But basically, the parade kind of feels like... Uh, 
someone was asked to design an America parade without doing any research whatsoever about the history of the country or what the country is. It was like, just, just do whatever is come off the top of your head. Yep. So that's America on parade. They ran it during the daytime and at nighttime, which is, uh, they just placed the main street electrical parade for the two years that they celebrated. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. Main street flag retreat ceremony is a very interesting one. The Main Street Flag Retreat Ceremony allegedly began on Disney's opening day and has run every single day of the park's life, including during the COVID shutdown. There was nobody in the park and they still ran it. And I am very skeptical. Zero percent chance, that, that, Disney. That, 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 that did happened. not. That did not happen. They're such liars. Because it, it takes like at least four or five people to fold the flags. So. Right. You so would what, have to send those up? people to work. Just <laughs> very, very weird. There's um, no way. Very much doubt that. But there's no way to disprove it, so you might as well just say it happened. Yeah, I guess so. Basically, it's a 20-minute event that happens every afternoon. The Disneyland Band and the Dapper Dans do patriotic songs. They usually call veterans forward to stand at the base of the flagpole, and they do a massive thank you to all the veterans in attendance. They play the national anthem as the flag comes down. Recently, they beefed up the show a little bit to include songs and lyrics from each of the military branches' anthems. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's about it. It's like the flag comes down after the anthem, the security guards fold it up, and then they march it off stage. So, I mean, this is a pretty, honestly, like unique thing for a theme park to do and very respectful to the flag because... Totally official flags deserve and command a lot of respect. Whereas you look at another, I want to call out six flags by name, but let's just say six (laughs) flags. They they just fly that flag all night long. Like they never take it down. It's always up there. Um, But this is a very official ceremony and uh, very, very unique and very American. I mean, I love the, goofiness of America on parade and those weird like self-aware fruit floats and the sport floats and things like that. Uh, It's very bizarre, but I think I have to go with the flag retreat ceremony. This feels very, and and, and respecting the flag and playing all the patriotic songs that are way too old. And yeah, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. And so I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to give it with to the uh, flag retreat. It's interesting uh, because this was going to be a tough one for me and I was really hoping you would go with parade so that I could just move the parade on. But I think you you make some valid points with the flag retreat. We put so much emphasis on this flag of ours. We say the pledge every morning in school. Now it's, I think, optional. But growing up, we would have to to pledge to it every single day, every single sporting event starts out with the national anthem. Uh, It's an interesting ritual that we have. And it's interesting that in this land of tomorrow and fantasy and past, we have this like real moment in the middle of the day. I've never been to it. I've never, I've never realized it happened uh, until, you know, becoming a, a further like Disney fan and just realizing that these things happen. I probably wouldn't attend it. I don't think I have a reason to be there, <laughs> honestly. But it's an interesting thing. And I think that I, I believe that they've done it since day one. I don't believe that they did it through COVID, but I believe that they've done it since day one, since Walt was such a, a patriot in his own right. America on Parade 
I really, really enjoyed watching, but you're right. It did kind of scare me. Those those weird paper mache actors walking through the parade route was unsettling. Uh, the the units that you were describing towards the end where it's like sports and food. And even right after that, they have this like creation float where it's like boats and airplanes and yes. other big things. Uh, and even like a walking light bulb, that unit, all of those together was a unit and it was called America's Creations. So they mm. were honoring things that have been made in America or founded in America, which makes sense with like baseball and football and stuff. So I kind of like that this parade wasn't like a history. It started out as a history. Uh, but the one thing that puts the flag retreat over for me is that they don't feature Christopher Columbus in the flag retreat ceremony. And Christopher Columbus being a part of like America, I think even back then he was he found he found this land. He discovered, quote unquote, this land, but he doesn't really have anything to do with the formation of America itself in its present day. Uh, and I feel like the the flag represents that formation that that is quote unquote most American, uh, not Christopher Columbus, and he's in the America Parade. Get him out of there. Get him out of the history books. We don't like Chrissy C here on this podcast. Uh, so I agree with you. Flag retreat uh, definitely moves on. Daphne, do you have any issues with that, or were you going to go with the flag as well? Um, I was going to go with the retreat ceremony. Um, I actually got to do it in college. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was a good experience. That's awesome. Wow, we have a uh, somebody who's been in it. So that that's dope. All right, let's move on to this next matchup. It's the number four, the American Adventure, versus number 13, the former Main Street Electrical Parade finale float. Uh, the American Adventure is just every other show that we're going to talk about here uh, when it comes to the history of this nation. It's It's Benjamin Franklin and Mark Twain walking us through a series of animatronic vignettes and even some short films about the formation of the USA. And I don't even really want to spend time walking through each of them because me talking about it will be just as boring as you actually <laughs> enjoying the YouTube video. It is, it is a snooze fest. If you think that the president's is a snooze fest, this is a snooze fest. In the middle of it, you have to sit through that Two Brothers song from the Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. And in fact, you even get to meet the two brothers in animatronic form where they're arguing about which side of the war is going to win before they go off to war. And then they take a photo and then they post this photo on the screen of the family. And it's like the animatronics. <laughs> And dude, when I was laughing so hard that they used the like animatronic photo, I really wish that they just did like real people lookalikes. But no, it was like an animatronic, a photo of the animatronic family posted to the screen. How absolutely ridiculous. So it gives you the formation of the country, yada, 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 boring stuff, history, history, yeah, whatever. Uh, it's up against the Main Street Electrical Parade float, which used to be that big American flag that finished off the entire parade. And that first float reads to honor America. And this float joined the Main Street Electrical Parade in 1979. The parade began in 1972. And this, this unit joined in 1979 for the bicentennial celebration, 
which it was three years late to because America on Parade was running in its place during the bicentennial celebration. So they kept the goodness going uh, in 1979, and then it continued all the way up until today, uh, where it has now recently changed to this Mary Blair-inspired float unit with a bunch of the Disney characters from some of the more recent films, notably Encanto. So uh, this was a big kind of waving flag that was resting on things like fireworks posts and big revolutionary drums. And you had a bunch of folks in these kind of colonial costumes with light up wigs and and things holding these big awnings almost that went over that were like lit up and it was playing music, that patriotic music like Yankee Doodle and America the Beautiful and that kind of stuff. And then the very end of the float, which is the very end of the parade, is this massive bald eagle that is just completely lit up. Like it, you think of the Main Street Electrical Parade and you think of the like the turtle, which has these big Christmas light bulbs. And so there's a lot of empty space, a lot of dead space within the turtle. This thing is like little itty bitty LEDs that are covering it. So it shimmers and shines and, and almost acts like a like stars a little bit. And it's a really impressive float, really gorgeous. The most American thing here, I think, is the finale float over the retelling of the forming of the U.S. And one, because I think that parades have become a big staple in American culture. While they may not be American in, in uh, origin, they're definitely a staple of what we do here in the States. We have a, a, a parade for what feels like everything in every small town, but then we televise the Macy Thanksgiving Day Parade. We televise Christmas Day Parades. We have parades for the Rose Bowl. Like this, It's a big part of the pop culture American experience. And to honor America as the grand finale, like the most important part of this Main Street Electrical Parade is America and to represent it as the most intricate part of the parade with the, the most lights and the and the patriotic music. And it gives the fans this feeling that they are witnessing something patriotic. They want to salute to it. Uh, I think is more American and, and more American of us to throw glitter on our flag and say, hell yeah, baby, USA, than to sit through the history books once again. So I'm going to go with the Main Street Electrical Parade here. Yeah, and and we have already kind of talked about how American pride is rooted in Disney and in the Disney parks. Walt was super proud to be an American. He was a very patriotic dude, and you saw that in a lot of his project in Disneyland. And so to see this parade that is technologically advanced have Disney stamp on it, well, it's it's for America, obviously. Like right. This isn't for us and all of the money we're making with all of these people in attendance today. Like this is for, this is for nation. This is for you. This is for you. I do think that that makes it rather American. Something that I appreciate about the American adventure, as opposed to things like the hall of presidents, the, the Franklin and Twain animatronics do kind of attempt to talk about what it means to be American. And I really kind of enjoy that debate, uh, both mm. in the world of Disney and outside of the world of Disney. It's it's a really unique experience for everyone. And so Ben and Marky Mark B. 
begin to try and have that conversation <laughs> at the beginning of the attraction. Uh, and, and like sometimes the things that they say are a little bit uh, confusing and watered down, but basically he says, you know, we built America and, and that makes us Americans because we're a part of it and, and what we put into it makes it ours. Right. Also, like we came from all these different places and so we all kind of have different backgrounds, but now we're, we're all the same. We're all one under one nation, under one flag. Right. And then he says, the American society is a society that is not rigged, but fitted by our very thought for greatness. I don't well, know what that means. I don't know what that means at all. But one, <laughs> the, but the one, the one, he ends this little opening monologue with something that I find to be very true. He said, pride is one of yes. our national passions. Thousand percent. And like that is, that is 100% true. Yeah. Something that makes Americans distinctly American is that they care about things a lot. Oh, do they? Uh, and they find the smallest things to take very personally. Uh, for example, being branded a Disney adult or seeing other people who are adults enjoy Disney. Like, let's just take, <laughs> let's just become enraged and extremely passionate about this idea that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, so I like that they bring up that topic and, and they take you through the history of America, but it's not so much taking you through the history of America via the founding fathers and the things that our government has done. They try and take you through it through the lens of like, here's what the people of our country have done. So here's, uh, here's Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. He was a president, but he also had this guy, John Muir with him. And, uh, you know, they went out to Yosemite and they established this, uh, and then the war happened. Oh, here's a world war two vignette where a guy's like building a submarine and they're talking about how they're going to miss Christmas with their families this year. Right. And there's this, super long five minute montage of like things that have <laughs> happened in, in American history. And, you know, they swap things in and out over the years, but it's basically just like American citizens and the things that they have accomplished. Uh, and I think like the culmination of those accomplishments is what America is. At the grand finale, they, they stand uh, at the torch of the Statue of Liberty, Ben Franklin and, and Mark Twain. Uh, and they basically say, you know, the the promise of America is that anyone can be whoever they want to be and that everyone's combined visions of what they want to be is what makes America what it is. And it's always growing and it's always changing. And it's an American adventure and it's an adventure that will continue for a very long time. And then they play Golden Dreams and everyone claps and leaves the theater. <laughs> I think that I think that it is boring. <laughs> that is not that is very not wrong. Like you have to be paying very close attention to hear all of these things. It is very easy for all these statements to go in one ear and out the other. But I do love the approach to the American adventure and the way that it tries to tell the story of the nation. Get what you're saying about the float. But I think I'm going with the uh, the favorite seed in this one. So Daphne, you're breaking yet another tie. You guys need to be united. <laughs> <laughs> nah, so oh, I got a parade bias too, man. Just like, yeah, like what Kyle said, you got the Thanksgiving parade, Christmas parade. And, and you know, in the military, when you, you've made it through basic, what do you do? You have a parade. So... <laughs> Braids are American. Braid foot moves on. Yeah, I love that actually. <laughs> uh, 
So, yeah, it's not being American, not so much about, you know, expressing yourself or, no. you know, freedoms. It's really about marching and parades. That's really <laughs> yeah. real and ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it is to be American. So um, let's move on to the next matchup. It's number five, America the Beautiful versus number 12, Liberty Square. Uh, Liberty Square, for those that are not familiar with Walt Disney World and the Magic Kingdom, uh, Liberty Square is a rather small land in the Magic Kingdom that is themed to old-timey colonial America. It's got a replica of Independence Hall. It's got a replica of the Liberty Bell. It's home to the Hall of Presidents attraction that we talked about earlier. It's got a little uh, restaurant. I think it's called Liberty Terrace or something like that. Liberty Tavern. Liberty Tavern. There it is. Uh, It's also where the Mark Twain docks. Is it called? It's not called the Mark Twain. No, it's the um, Liberty Bell. It's called the Liberty Bell, uh, and so it's this, yeah, kind of kind of colonial inspired land. It's very small, not a whole lot there. Just the Hall of Presidents and Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion, Random, randomly thrown into <laughs> Liberty Square, which. You know, I mean, you could make an argument that the Haunted Mansion is randomly thrown into New Orleans Square, too. Sure. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it, feels, it feels not super obvious that that is located in this land. I think that it's um, there's something haunted about colonial America. Sure, sure. So does that mean that the origin story for the ghosts in the Haunted Mansion is, has got to be different? And instead yeah. of like the 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 California haunted mansion where the owner of the mansion was like a southern socialite and uh, there are all these kind of rich people that maybe died on the property, maybe they were former Confederate soldiers. There was a battle nearby or something like that. In the yep. Florida version, it's like they're all like Northeast uh, Revolutionary War right. soldiers or something <laughs> like that. Right, interesting, exactly. very interesting take. Okay, America the Beautiful. A 360-degree circle vision experience. Yeah. This attraction was located at the site of what is now Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters, or what is it, Buzz Lightyear? Yeah, Buzz Lightyear Astro, Astro Blasters. That's what it's called, right? Sure is. Uh, so this is like a 25-minute experience. It was... It opened, I think, in like 76. I think this is another bicentennial joint. Yeah, it was originally in 1958 at the Brussels World Fair. Uh, mm. And then they got brought to Disneyland in 1960. And then it was reshot in 1967. And then it was redone yet again for the Bicentennial. Okay, so the version I watched was the Bicentennial one. Cause Same. I believe that's the only one that exists in recording form on the internet yep. uh, at this point in time. Uh, it's basically like a tour of the country in in panoramic view. You you can almost almost think of it like it's a Soren prequel, totally. Uh, where they're just taking you on this tour of the sites. But what is interesting is that in addition to taking you on some sites throughout the country, like Niagara Falls and uh, the Colorado River, Zion, Yosemite, they also take you to some like very American sites as well they take you to uh, mount vernon mm-hmm. which honestly mount i've been to mount vernon it is one Same. of my favorite places in the entire world i think mount vernon is beautiful yeah it was cool 
You've got Williamsburg, Independence Hall, Washington, D.C. Check out the White House, Gettysburg. But the most interesting one to me is they head on up to West Point Academy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Check out the Army boys yep. as they're doing their thing. So it's it's just kind of an interesting sort of, I don't know, dichotomy, I guess is the word. You've got the physical beauty that they're trying to portray, but they're also trying to still portray this like historical aspect of like the building of our country that exists in so many of these other Disney things. Yeah. Um, you've <clears throat> kind of similar to what you were talking about with like the train float in America on parade. There's also a section that includes Chicago's Lakeshore Drive, Key West and Cape Canaveral kind of highlights the engineering accomplishments of America as well as Miami beach and all the hotels uh, that are along there. The, they take you through all of those uh, national uh, beautiful geographic sites. And then they end up on the West coast, baby. Wow. They end up at the golden gate bridge. Take, yeah. take a little ride into Frisco, baby. Yo, ba- <laughs> the golden gate bridge test. And uh, so they go down Lombard Street. You know how it is. <laughs> I'm getting then they go, down, they go down to Los Angeles. They check out Hollywood. They specifically call out that like we make fake things in Hollywood. Yep. Little, little SoCal beaches, little Hollywood hills. They go down to Hawaii. They also have a section up in Alaska. It really like this, this movie, America the Beautiful, does its best to try and cover all of its bases. Yeah, and really totally. trying to show you everything that is America. Uh, I think Liberty Square, just such kind of a small experience that you could easily overlook as being a tribute to America. America the Beautiful is just America through and through. So I got to go with that one for sure. Yeah, I've got to go with America the Beautiful as well. And I'll talk about that more uh, next time. But I feel like we, we, we should move on here. But Daphne, America the Beautiful or uh, Liberty Liberty Square. I've actually experienced neither. <laughs> okay. Is America the Beautiful kind of similar to that glide over America? Yes. It's yeah. like the precursor to that, except it's 360 degrees. It's all around you. And you just stand. Oh, I'm, the less activity, the better. <laughs> <laughs> now that's America for you. Like a true American. All right, let's move on to this next Round across the brackets. Number two, great moments with Mr. Lincoln versus the number 15, Casey at the bat. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast uh, anytime beyond this one in the last six months, you've definitely heard us talk about great moments with Mr. Lincoln many a times. Uh, this is an attraction on both coasts. This is an attraction that really revolutionized the animatronic technology used by Disney uh, introduced at the 1964-65 World's Fair. Uh, it is a show in which Lincoln is sitting on a chair and then he stands up, he says some words to us, he sits back down and then the screen comes down and we watch a movie. And that is uh, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. It, it, it's it's American. It's We're watching a president give a, a speech, a president that was very influential in the modern day makeup of America. Obviously, he was the president in which uh, slavery was declared over uh, and so he was seen as this kind of uniting force to the the states recently they've updated the lobby of great moments with mr lincoln and they've included frederick Douglass's bust in it because he played a huge integral part in 
the Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln enacted. And uh, so it's good to see that they give him a little love. But we've talked about it over and over again. So go back and listen to that if you want to hear a more in-depth telling of it. Casey at the Bat. This is a, a Disney short about this overconfident baseball player named Casey who was batting a thousand when he comes up to the plate. Dude rakes. And dude dude rakes, rakes, man. And and not only does he rake, but he instills fear in the opponent unlike anybody else. This is this is Shohei Otani stepping up to the plate, knowing exactly what's about to happen. This boy about to go yard on you. Except Casey looks like he's built like a Mack truck. He is a, a big boy. Yeah. So we we get introduced to this short with this kind of sing song. It sounds like we're entering a silly symphony almost. And I think this this was right off the back of the silly symphonies. And we enter like a, a modern day baseball game. It, you have this like modern day field with those grandstands with the overhangs, but nobody in the outfield. You have a team that is the pitcher is absolutely mowing them down. He lets a couple of guys on base and it's in a very comical cartoon way, of course. Uh, and every time my favorite part is every time somebody gets out the around the horn segment of this <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> where the players in the infield yes. are passing the ball around at, at world record speed and it's just a big blur i really like that a lot uh they pan to the fans every once in a while and there's a fan of the what i can assume is the opposing team he he's he gets beat up in the stands <laughs> the entire time the the home team does anything good this guy gets beat up and we keep panning back and he's more and more disheveled and, and his butt has been kicked but then uh, with two outs, Casey comes up and the the fans are ready for Casey. There's a song that plays about about how everybody loves Casey and the girls love Casey. Uh, and Casey is Dude, not he's got concerned. Babes kissing him in the dugout. In the dugout. In the, and you know what's uh, really insulting about that beyond just the fact that that's the women characters in this is that the the short opens up to the song. And one of the lines mm. in the song is the ladies don't understand baseball a bit. <laughs> <laughs> They're just there to see Casey. Uh, so that kind of gives you the mentality of women's sports viewers at the time. But Casey shows up and he goes to bat and he's batting a thousand. So you better bet he's going to hit that ball. He's a little distracted. Strike one. He's even more distracted for strike two because he is literally enjoying some coffee and he's reading a newspaper. Ball goes right by him and it's 0 and 2. Casey gives a very intimidating look to the umpire as if it was the umpire's fault that Casey was not paying attention. And then we have the the third pitch. And then we have a ferocious swing. And all of a sudden, the film cuts. And we go to this like little town uh, scene where everything is really serene and beautiful. And then all of a sudden, we kind of pan back over the town into the baseball stadium where, where Casey has struck out. <laughs> and he is attempting to hit the ball still as it's bouncing around, and he, and he cannot do it. And so that is the end of the short. We see the downfall of Casey. What's interesting about the short is that it, it kind of solidifies itself in Disney American history by situating uh, a, a diner at the end of Main Street USA in the Magic Kingdom at Casey's Corner, which is an homage to this Casey at the Bat character. Whereas at Disneyland, we have Coke Corner. So mm. capitalism or baseball, uh, both American in its own right. 
So uh, in this matchup between Mr. Lincoln and Casey at the bat, you have another president show talking about the Civil War, speaking to us in a lecture format. Uh, you have a celebration of what we consider America's pastime. Uh, this We have this kind of fable that if you shouldn't be so cocky uh, because it's that's not what it's all about. You need a little skill behind it as well. And you shouldn't you should always take everything uh, with your best effort, despite the situations. I feel like that's some sort of like moral story that you would tell kids in, in school that feels very American as well. Um, it's kind of a toss up for me because I like Casey at the bat, but I'm struggling to find more American connections besides it being about baseball. Uh, with Lincoln, you have a lot of very American aspects to it, from the speech to the historical story to even the lobby out front, which gives you even more American context. And I, so I think I hate to do it, but I think I got to go with Lincoln here. Uh, Chris, do you have uh, anything that can save us? I got plenty on Casey at the bat. Uh, this is, this is another baseball Disney scene. Like, you know, I'm trying to break it down. Of course. Uh, I won't go, I won't go frame by frame on it, but first of all, I just got to say, uh, there's nothing like a day game. Oh Yeah. Day games I, are the best. I love a day game. I love a weekday day game specifically. When we get those home yes. games, 1245 start on a Wednesday, I'm like, mm, this is about to be a good day. Just about oh, to yeah. chill. Some nice warm summer weather. Watching the boys knock it around. <laughs> uh, so, so I love that. Uh, you know, that's featured in Casey at the Bat. It's a day game, of course. Um, yeah, the situation. Bottom of the yeah. ninth. Down by a deuce. <laughs> Casey do up fifth. There's no way. No way. There's no way he's coming up to, to cup the hit. And like, I'm trying to think of kind of like you mentioned Otani, like, yeah, he, he's sort of a modern day Casey, I guess. But you know, like you said, he's built like a truck. So I'm thinking maybe like a little John Carlos Stanton. Okay. Sure. Know, a little Tyler O'Neill beef, beefcake boy. Yep. But what's interesting is Casey's also a redhead. And we right. don't we don't have a lot of gingers in the game. We got like Justin Turner. Yeah. We got Dustin May, Jake DeGrom. There are pitchers though. Yeah. I would say I would say Clint Frazier is maybe like the closest thing we had to uh to Casey. Mm, dude yeah. was a ginger and dude also had a really bad approach at the plate and <laughs> kind of lacked focus, you know. <laughs> Only difference is like no one's ever praying for Clint Frazier to come up to the plate is, of the game on the line. This is true. Uh, no disrespect to uh, my former colleague, Clint <laughs> Frazier. Um, there's that. There's that one. Uh, like you mentioned, the the closing pitcher just sweating bullets when Casey's up there. Yeah. The the catcher throws down some crazy signs for the He's, pitcher, which. You know what? That joke is going to be lost because Pitchcom exists now. We don't now. do that anymore. Yeah. We're out here. Pre we're out here pressing buttons. Don't need to mm -hmm. throw down signs. What are we, cavemen? <laughs> Thanks, Ashes. The, the, the pitch that pitch. Oh, you said that pitcher is nasty though. Guys, throw oh. some filth. I mean, I need I need Pitching Ninja to to hop in here and do yeah. a little gif on <laughs> on this pitch. A check little out, overlay check. of all these pitches, please. Yeah, we need the spin rate on some of these. Um, but the fans, they, they go crazy. Dude throws a strike. Yeah. Right, right at the belt. And the, 
one of the fans like kill the umpire kill yeah. him <laughs> like, all right all right that's like super aggressive you realize the umpire can eject fans too right at this time i feel like anything went i don't know that at this time umpires yeah, were ejecting true. fans i think that it was pretty unruly <laughs> <laughs> like we saw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nowadays we just wait for the umpire scorecard on Twitter and we online bully them into retirement. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Fast down, fastball down the pipe for strike two. I mean, come on. Do you mention he's reading a newspaper? I thought it was like a, I thought it was like a nudie mag. I thought there was like a picture oh, on the front of it or something. Interesting. I thought it was a, yeah, I didn't, I thought it was a, a newspaper, yeah. but could be wrong. No. I mean, okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing that I find very American about it. Like, to find this American is to find baseball American. Yeah. Like, the, like the idea that baseball is uh, mostly failure. <laughs> it's mostly, it's <laughs> yeah. mostly guys walking up to the plate and getting a hit one out of three times. Uh, you're, you're striking out more than you're getting hits. You're, you're popping out, grounding out. Uh, it's a game of failure. And Casey at the bat certainly demonstrates that. Baseball is a game of hard work. It's a game of people starting at the bottom, starting when they're kids and on the dreams of making it to the big leagues one day and being that Casey, being that cleanup hitter, being that ace. Um, and it's all people just, just trying as hard as they possibly can to get there. There are some things we'll talk about later on in this bracket that kind of relate to that work ethic Mm. uh, that is, that is thought about when we think about what it means to be American. Um, yeah, I I think that there's maybe an argument for Casey, but I think it's pointless against Lincoln, um, yeah. especially when you consider that this is not just like most American thing. It's most American Disney thing. And uh, most of like Disney and Lincoln had this strange sort of connection. Um, and we have to we have to advance that one here. So I'm gonna go ahead and say DFA Casey. unfortunately and we are moving lincoln along so daphne do you agree with us send in your boy along send in a president to the next round (laughs) go abe (laughs) go abe (laughs) you're my boy abe you're my boy boy, all right next up we've got the number seven seed disney's proposed theme park disney's america Versus the number 10 seed Frontierland. I mean, Frontierland, that's an easy one. We all know what Frontierland is. Yep. Frontierland's like the Wild West themed section of the Disney parks. There's one. I don't think there's one in every single one, but there's one in just about all of them. Yep. Um, and, and it was a land that was part of the opening day map of Disneyland. The idea that the Wild West is this fantasy, aspirational, aspirational, memorable place to be and to do stuff. Yep. That's right there in Disneyland. Um, I've kind of slowly been more and more confused about the, like the glorification of the West. I mean, it sort of makes sense. Like the idea that there are no rules. It's very in- yeah. individualistic society where we all are kind of looking out for ourselves. Like that is kind of a very base form of like the American identity. Sure. But you know, we want to ride the wildest ride in the wilderness where there's like, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to say there was no safety, but like there, there is no safety. Like we've, We've seen it proved it proved to be a rather wild ride a yes, couple of times. So unfortunately, uh, 
so Frontierland, sort of American, but but the fantasy of the West is just such a small portion of the identity of America and of America's history. It definitely was like a, a more lively land in the early days of the park. You had a couple and it wagons. Was huge. It's giant it's Rainbow Ridge. Mine train through nature's wonderland, pack mules, all kinds of stuff going on uh, in Frontierland. But I mean, to me, it's kind of like, all right, that was just an excuse for them to just leave everything, just a bunch of dirt and be like, oh, it's the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's the frontier. There's not any landscaping in the frontier. Number seven seed, Disney's America. I mean, this is an absolute behemoth of a topic. We could talk about Disney's America for days. I would highly suggest that everyone listening, if they've never heard of the Disney's America project, please go and do some research on it. It is absolutely fascinating. But to kind of give you an abridged summary of what Disney's America was, this is something that happened relatively early in Michael Eisner's tenure as president of the Walt Disney Company. He was talking about all these parks expansions. Paris was looking like a financial disaster. So in 1993, Eisner announced Disney's America, which is going to be kind of a more local park, regional yep. park, open seasonally. And it, there wouldn't be tons of e-ticket attractions. It would be mostly uh, kind of an educational experience. And it was going to be based in Haymarket, Virginia, a spot in Northern Virginia that would attract DC tourists. Uh, so it was going to be kind of a, a Disney-fied history of America. Think California adventure, but for American history. Exactly. There are there were nine themed areas. I won't go through all of them, but some of my favorites. There was going to be a, a Native America section uh, that would reflect tribes of America's past, including a whitewater river raft ride. Of course. of course, there was a civil civil war fort, which quote, plunged guests into a more turbulent time of American history. <laughs> oh boy. Things like battlefield reenactments. And I believe this is where they had planned the, um, experience where guests would feel what it feels like to be a slave Yep, in the South. Yep. That's yep. That's the one. We've also got the We the People area in the park that was a replica of Ellis Island and talking about uh, the many immigrants that settled <laughs> in America in the 19th Gosh. and 20th century. And then my personal favorite, State Fair, an area based on Coney Island where you've got a Ferris wheel, wooden rides, and every single day, a live baseball game. Incredible. Featuring some of the game's greats. <laughs> So imagine the character like imagine. they have to find these like face actors that look like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and they're just out there having to put on this live baseball game. Uh, that's, I was like, okay, so what do you go with? Do you go with an actor who's going to play the babe or do you go with like indie league players or like right. former college players that just are going to go out there and play and like baseball is a hard game. So what happens when the Babe Ruth guy goes over for and the people, the people who showed up there that they were like, dude, DFA babe, babe yeah. sucks. It's the worst. Actually. Why have we been hyping this man up? He's awful. It reminds me of blades of glory. When Will Ferrell is like the champion figure skater and he has to go to grublets on ice. And yeah, <laughs> like that's how he uses his talents. Like this would be the equivalent of that for former baseball players. Totally. 
It reminds me of, I actually watched a video on Holy Land Orlando, which was this like Bible experience in Orlando. And they had like a Jesus actor who would go around and, and like, that was his job was to be Jesus at the park every day. And he like took it really seriously. And they were very careful about like him interacting with guests and like him being, him being seen like out in public doing things like, wow. uh, So yeah, you've got like Ruth, Garrig, Maze, all uh, having to be these God tier Hall of Fame baseball players every single day for Disney yep. Park guys. Love that. Um, the the critical flaw in Disney's America was that they announced like every single detail of the project before any of it had been approved. So they weren't just like, oh yeah, we're gonna do like a Disney park in Northern Virginia, like whatever, approved, sure. Uh, the locals are in on it. Like the zoning's legit. It's all paid for and we're going to just go with it. They were like, okay, here's exactly what we're going to do and down to the attraction. (laughs) And that's, that's what the public ended up blowing up about. They were like slave experience. Nope. We're going to have to cancel this whole thing, which man, I mean, sure. So eventually this made its way to Capitol Hill. They ended up doing a whole Senate hearing uh, for, whether or not this project should be approved. There were historians who said, no, this is really wrong. And then you had Disney who's saying it's going to bring jobs. It's going to bring, uh, you know, all of these positive things to the area. We're going to be able to educate people. And then you had the locals who were like, oh, it's going to bring traffic and noise and all the things that like locals generally don't like about the idea of a proposed theme park. Uh, it was just such a disaster. Yeah. Um, like I said, you're going to want to go back and listen to the whole story. Uh, Frontierland, like I said, just a small part of American history. The things that Disney's America, though it never ended up happening, the things that were tr- it tried to do, they tried to just get all the American things in one place. And, and even though we never saw it, the idea itself isn't just a super American Disney thing, but the idea that they tried to, to do it was also an extremely American Disney thing that they uh, are such prideful Americans, such an American corporation that they have to take <laughs> it on themselves to be the stewards of history. Sure. Uh, and ultimately take your money for it. So Disney, so Eisner, I love it. I'm going with uh, Disney's America. I'm going with Frontierland and I'm doing that because the Frontierland is not only a snapshot of America in in the past in this kind of like Western expansion, but it's a snapshot of America pop culture in the 1950s. Like at the time, Westerns were super big. Western culture was super big. They insert Davy Crockett into Frontierland and they build this entire storyline around him. They have... TV shows about him and and like it was it was more Zorro was in Frontierland like it was more of a a pop culture moment that was built as a land than it was a representation of the wild frontier in in reality and I think that's very American to celebrate pop culture I we love to do that we put a lot of stakes into what our celebrities do and what Hollywood does and and we build monuments for these people and we worship them and and I think that like building a land around the pop culture of westerns in the 50s when they were at their heights is extremely american what i i i love that the go for it attitude of building disney's america 
feels very American. But I think that like when we when we look at what American is, quote unquote, we love to win and we celebrate wins and, sure. and getting the job done and doing it and and we celebrate that. You think about like our entire like work culture and we're climbing these ladders of success and and we don't get rewarded for just trying. Uh, we get rewarded for succeeding. I feel like that's such an American trope. And so for that project to be there and fail, uh, it feels like that that isn't the most quote unquote American thing. While I think it's a, I'm not discounting them for trying I, I just don't see it as the most American and the most bonkers thing about Disney's America besides like live like a slave and like all of these different tropes that they were throwing out. Senior VP Bob Weiss, who was in charge of so much at the time, he helped bring the Tokyo parks online like he was an integral part of the, the Disney leadership. He comes out here with his big dumb head and he says, this is not a Pollyanna view of America. Pollyanna was like the Haley Mills movie in the 60s that was this little town quaint American movie. We want to make you a Civil War soldier. We want to make you feel what it was like to be a slave or what it was like to escape through the Underground Railroad. That is an actual quote from a VP at Disney. How insane is that to say out loud uh, to the press? So uh, all of that craziness aside, feels very American to, to do something like that. Um, it didn't happen. So I, I have to go with Frontierland, which means Daphne's breaking uh, another tie. Dang, another one. Okay, so Frontierland. Uh, this is America to me th through just my own experience because I came here when I was like six, seven years old. Uh, we went to Disneyland for the first time. And what I remember is Frontierland. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think our first family picture is um, us going down the log ride. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made it to America. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like dashing down a mountain into a thorn thicket that screams uh, America. <laughs> All right, we've got Frontierland moving on. Let's talk about this next matchup. So number three, Main Street USA versus number 14, Walt Disney. Out here busting some work unions. Uh, Main Street USA. You've heard us talk about it all the time. You know what it is. Uh, turn of the century town. Turn of the century as in 19th to 20th century. Not anything more current than that. Celebration of American life. Uh, there's this like narrative that this town, this section of the park is supposed to be 4th of July every single day. And every night it ends with fi a firework celebration. Hard to kind of believe that's what it was originally supposed to be or just like the narrative because fireworks didn't start until much after the founding of Disneyland. They don't have America stuff up year round anymore. It's very much a, a, a place where they'll put advertisements for whatever festivals going on down Main Street. So they've lost that that touch of what they say Main Street USA is supposed to be. But it is very small town America that you can go through the middle of America. You could go through small towns in California and there are places in downtown areas that look very much like Main Street USA. Hollister, California, before it started to be kind of like rebuilt, our downtown had a very similar section to it that reminded me of Main Street USA. So a lot of America in it, 
Um, but let's hop over to to Walt busting some unions. Uh, this is a very complex situation. There's a lot to it that could be an entire show of itself. But basically, what happened was during the the World War II years when studios weren't doing so well and the pay was not very competitive, you started seeing a lot of Hollywood studios unionizing and and fighting for for equal pay. It's actually in the 30s. And the first studio to do so was the Fleischer Studios. And that's the studio that produced Betty Boop, Popeye, all of those old school cartoons. And the union was called the Screen Cartoonist Guild. And so Disney animators coming off of a very rough time after Snow White are like, listen, uh, we're producing all of these short films. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of the money. There's really only like Walt's favorites that are getting paid big time. The rest of us are not getting paid at all. Maybe we should start considering joining a union like everybody else uh, and, and fighting for kind of fair workplace rights. Art Babbitt, who was a very prominent studio animator, uh, he also got paid extremely well, uh, decided that he wanted to fight for the rest of his colleagues. And so he started the movement over towards unionizing the studios. Uh, there's a quote that said that the studios were so disorganized that some animators earned $300 a week while most other employees made as little as 12. And so art is like, no, we're going to go ahead and try and make this right. Uh, and Walt took it extremely personally that his animators were going to try and unionize what he felt against him, which wasn't the case. They were just trying to get paid right. And Walt didn't recognize that. And he brings everybody into an auditorium. And he he says this. It's, it's a little long, but it's absolutely bonkers. He says, quote, In the 20 years I've spent in this business, I've weathered many storms. It's been far from easy sailing. It required a great deal of work, struggle, determination, competence, faith, and above all else, unselfishness. Some people think we have a class distinction in the place. They wonder why some people get better seats in the theater than others. They wonder why some men get spaces in the parking lot and others don't. I have always felt and always will feel that the men that contribute the most to the organization should, out of respect alone, enjoy some privileges. My first recommendation to the lot of you is this. Don't put your own house in order. You can't accomplish a damn thing by sitting around and waiting to be told everything. If you're not progressing as you should, instead of grumbling and growling, do something about it. Unquote. Imagine these, the CEO, the president, the leader of a company bringing all of their employees into, a into an auditorium and saying that and then not expecting them to strike <laughs> because that's immediately what they did. And what did Disney do while the animators went on strike? South America vacation, baby. I'm bringing my boys. We get out to South America. We are going to do research for Saludos Amigos and we are going to come back and everything's going to be okay. And that's basically what he did. He, he left. Uh, the animators stayed on strike and Art Babbitt joined the union with 16 others and they forced Walt when he came back to sign an agreement that uh, that the employees can unionize. So that's the long 
history and that's not even all of it of, <laughs> of Walt union busting there. Uh, it, that is such a snapshot of American work culture at that time, especially yeah. when unions were uprising. Right. And, and the big CEOs who are making all of this money, uh, and not paying their employees because they didn't have to. And I think that's still something that we see today up until very recently, especially during the COVID pandemic, a lot of us have realized our worth and have left industries and jobs because we're finding places that actually do. And so while that is very American, what the subject is, is Walt trying to break that up as being the most American. And I think for that time, it was definitely the most American. I think even now you think about Starbucks and the and the things that they're going through. And I think Amazon as well, right? That's the big one that the employees are trying to unionize around. So we see it over and over again. And I think that Main Street USA, while it harbors Lincoln, harbors the American flag, it takes on this like little small town America. Uh, I don't think that it embodies it as much as Disney wants us to think it does, especially now that they continue to kind of ship in all of these overlays and festival celebrations and that kind of stuff uh, that takes the America out of it and inserts a little bit too much Disney into it. And I think there has to be a balance when we're talking about this kind of stuff. While Walt Disney, the biggest animation company on the face of this planet, even at that time, trying to keep his employees from unionizing against him while creating world-class work is very American. <laughs> and it is a Disney thing. And I'm going to go with the union busting, Chris. Yeah. So I think saying that a person busting a union is very American uh, is sort of a cynical outlook on on what it means to be American. Uh, yeah. You know, the at all, you know, I hate unions in America because they're capitalist pigs, you know, uh, that's definitely cynical. There are plenty of Americans that do, uh, support unions and, and push for unions. Well, didn't actually bust a union. Uh, he more so just tried to prevent a, a union from happening. Right. Uh, and it did end up happening. However, he did kind of push the one that he didn't want out and accepted the one that he did want in. Uh, so there's some of that in there. I mean, like you said, back then, this was super American. I mean, unions, the threat of communism, that was yep. a huge part of the American way of life. And if it, there was even a hint of you supporting socialism, communism, like you were in a lot of trouble, Walt even ended up at a hearing, House Un-American Un Activities Committee, and he basically had to defend the fact that there was no communism in his studio. And so I'm sure that really... Uh, pained him. Um, and he felt very un-American in that moment. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying about the, how Main Street USA has changed over time. It definitely has. It used to be a very complex, very alive place. Um, and now it is mostly Disney commerce. Um, yeah. however, like in the same way that like, Oh, we, no, you, no one likes unions in America is kind of a cynical view on, uh, Americanism. <laughs> the idea Americans that like, Oh, yeah, Americans love shopping and they're going to go buy uh, a giant ice cream cone and wait two hours for a candy cane and then 
pay double what they should for a stupid Disneyland spirit jersey that they could get on Amazon. Like, yeah, yeah. That also feels very American too. While at the same time celebrating a lot of the past that we see so much in these other American Disney things, you have not only the history of the nation where there's, you know, the old timey fire truck that you can ride around in this, the horse carriage, the omnibus, You've also got Disney history wrapped up in there. Walt's office is enshrined above the fire station. The Main Street Opera House is the home to Lincoln, one of yeah. the most historic animatronics in the history of man. You've got tons of Disney gallery stuff in there too uh, that celebrates the history of the company. I think I'm going with Main Street USA. Daph, we're putting you through the ringy, ringy yeah, over wow. here with these American Disney things, but you're going to have to break another tie. So many decisions. So, uh, I think the most American thing is work culture. So, work culture. Yeah, work culture. I got to go with the union busting. <laughs> While being a bad boss is, uh, uh, yeah. is, is the most American thing. All right. Last sure. matchup. Here we I go. I appreciate it. Let's close things out with the number six seed Disney's World War II propaganda films versus the number 11 seed, the American Legends VHS. Woo. So if you know like a little bit extra about Disney, you probably know that during World War II, Walt used his resources to create animated World War II propaganda films for the country to be shown in movie houses, to be shown to American soldiers, to try and rally the spirit of the nation as they faced the threat of uh, Germany, Italy, the fascists in World War II. Uh, yep. There were some pretty like extreme, uh, yeah, extreme and like very intense depictions of World War II and a lot of these animation sequences. Donald Duck goes to war, or what is it called? Donald Duck. Donald gets uh, drafted. Is Donald one. Donald gets drafted. Yeah, um, you face see, is the other. <laughs> you have these these stereotypical depictions of Adolf Hitler of. Um, uh, the Japanese uh, troops that uh, yep. we face in in World War II as well. Uh, yep. Very, very racist stereotypes. This was propaganda. This was intentionally designed that way to, to try and inspire hatred amongst the people watching them. Uh, super serious part of American history, super serious part, obviously, of Disney history. The fact that it's on this bracket, uh, it's definitely hard for me to talk about uh, just because <laughs> it was such a such kind of a real thing. You know, when we think about Disney, we think about all this sort of like Disney-fied versions of history, but this uh, these Disney cartoons did not uh, sprinkle any magic on it. It was very straightforward and, and rather intense. I guess you could say that the thing that makes this very American is that it was a private company using its resources to support the military effort and America, the number one military power in the world when it comes to spending and weapons. And this was just one of those weapons uh, right. that America recruited during that war. Number 11, the American Legends VHS. This is one that you maybe you maybe watched in school, maybe watched a little in eighth grade like me. Uh, right. maybe, maybe you didn't, but it's basically four animated shorts. You've got uh, ones that span like various eras of, of the Disney company. We had the 2000 
animated short, John Henry. We had yep. the 1948 animated The Legend of Johnny Appleseed, 1958's Paul Bunyan, and 1950's The Brave Engineer. All of these four animation sequences played together, and the whole thing was narrated by James Earl Jones. Uh, and each segment, I mean, I don't really need to break it down because it was kind of just like a Disney-fied version of these American folk heroes. John Henry, freed slave who built the railroad and was a steel driver. He beat a steam machine. Basically imagine that scene in the office where Dwight tries to beat the computer. That was John Henry, but for uh, a steam steel driving contraption, Johnny Appleseed dude who sprinkled apples across America. I learned recently that the apples he sprinkled were not for eating, but they were actually for alcohol. (laughs) They were distilled and made into a hard cider. Yep. Paul, Paul Bunyan, just uh, the folkiest of folk heroes, giant, literal giant who uh, created a lot of the national, uh, who created a lot of the geographic wonders of the country. Brave engineer, this dude, Casey Jones, who trying to just, get some mail. He was just trying to get, get the, mail the mail on time in a, in a, in a <laughs> locomotive. The part that makes it really feel like super American to me is, is James Earl Jones, uh, mm little interludes in between each of these sequences and and the the ways that he tries to frame the story. I mean, this is a VHS for children. He's trying to, or at least Disney wrote for him to be instilling (laughs) these ideas in, in people's heads. After John Henry, he's like, it's a reminder that the indomitable American spirit is powerful today as it was yesterday. American spirit. At the end of Johnny Appleseed, he says, Johnny was proof that you don't need great strength or size to become an American legend. A man's deeds can live on. And at the end of the whole thing, his sign-off is very powerful. He says, I got another long quote for us, but who will be the doers and dreamers of tomorrow? Any one of you can be a Johnny Appleseed. Maybe you have a devotion to duty like Casey Jones, or you have an inner strength to stand tall against adversity like John Henry. Use your imagination. What frontiers will you conquer? Look for the heroes around you and celebrate them. You can find them in the past, in the present, even in the mirror, because you're the stuff that legends are made of. And that little monologue right there is why I'm advancing the Disney American (laughs) Legends VHS because America is the idea that anyone can do anything if they just work hard enough and are just passionate enough and can do the right thing. You can be a legend too. So James Earl Jones, the 11C is moving on. Damn. Mic drop over there, huh? (laughs) Uh, the, The propaganda films... Not all of them were super, super extreme. Some of them were like, do your part at home and save your kitchen grease so that we can use it to make bombs. And some were like, uh, you should buy uh, war stock and war bonds to help fund this war. And they used scenes from Three Little Pigs where the, the big bad wolf is a Nazi and he is huffing and puffing down these houses. And the last one that's made of bricks is actually made of war certificates. And that's how they, they survive. The seven dwarves go to a bank and they turn in their diamonds that they've gotten out of their mm-hmm. mine shaft and they ex- exchange it for war certificates. So there is these like this like civic duty propaganda as well that was happening in World War II. And then it started getting more and more extreme as 
the government essentially asked Disney to get it more and more extreme and and rile up the nation. And I think like that still happens today. It's not Disney making cartoon shorts. It's news networks and it's social media and it's it's things that are playing out in different ways. So it's definitely a propaganda is a way of American life, but it's not uh it's not isolated to the american experience sure. propaganda sure. especially wartime propaganda uh is everywhere and they'll use all resources to to show it and think about what's happening now and think about what's happening in china and like there's folks that don't even know what's happening on the outside because they're just fed this kind of propaganda material uh, i think that there's a aspect in of american pride that comes from being in war, but I think that that pride is often after winning <laughs> or like in retrospect, yeah. not in real time. I think in real time, oftentimes we're scared. After World War II, wars start getting more and more and more controversial. So it's not necessarily that we respond patriotically to this type of propaganda anymore. Um, but what I think stands today is the feeling of pride in where we've come from the feeling that we can do whatever we can whatever we want because we are american and i think that that narrative is pushed through over and over again in these folk tales that are told in the disney legends stories and i think that's even more powerful today than any type of war propaganda which is what gives the legends the one up for me we're moving it on. Daphne, any issue with the propaganda going down? No, no issue. And I agree with what you said, where it's not necessarily an American experience. Uh, what came up to mind was a, a Jojo Rabbit. Right. Yeah, he's asking for pots and pans for the war effort. So, yeah. But that was for the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I remember as a kid uh, seeing that Paul Bunyan scene. He's wrestling with his donkey. And... <laughs> And that's how the Grand Canyon was made. So, yeah, that uh, the VHS is uh, best nostalgic to me. So, yeah, moving on. All right. And that brings us to the end of the first round of the most quote unquote American Disney thing. In the Elite Eight, next time, we are going to be talking about the number one Hall of Presidents versus the number nine Main Street USA flag retreat ceremony, the number 13 Main Street Electrical Parade former finale float versus the number five America the Beautiful Circle Vision Circle Rama show. Across the brackets, the number two Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln versus the number 10 Frontierland. And rounding out the Elite Eight, it's going to be the number 14 Walt busting or attempting to bust some unions versus the number 11 The American Legends VHS. Daphne, thank you so much for getting patriotic with us. Uh, we can't wait to talk to you again next week. All right, everyone. Well, you know how to reach us. You got something to say about America, something to say about these patriotic choices. Please email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All those channels are linked in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash mousemadness and become a member of Jerry's gang by joining us at the $5 level. Can't wait to see you next time, folks. Until then, we'll see ya from sea to shining sea.